Welcome to Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. No bias, no conjecture, just facts. So, let's go. For the week of May 5th, hi everybody, welcome to Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. And first and foremost, yep, there's been radio silence from me uh, for the past two weeks, and my sincere apologies for that. The reason why uh, there has been radio silence is that I'm kind of trying to grow the Strong and Free brand. So make it more than just a podcast. Um, I started a YouTube channel, uh, which is, you know, five to 10 minute videos on the topics that I cover. I'm starting to write for Medium as well to use the podcast topics as well and put my my scripts and turn them into an engaging article. So I really want to build this into a place on the internet where people can come and know that the topic that they're reading and the topic that I'm broaching is something where, you know, I'm not pus- pushing a perspective. And so for the past two weeks, I've been really focused on that. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to upload um, a podcast. And so that's going to change today. Uh, we get back to our regularly sch- scheduled program. Uh, links in the description of my YouTube channel and um, the Medium articles that I've been writing Um, Thank you so much for all of your support, and thank you so much for always listening. You know, we're slowly growing something here. Um, I'm coming up to the six-month mark for Strong and Free, and I can't believe it's been six months or almost six months. And just knowing that thousands of people have interacted with this media, um, whether podcasting or online, you know, comments on my articles or anything like that, thank you so much for listening I appreciate it. I really appreciate it because it shows that there's actually, um, there is a movement towards more balance in our discourse. Someone the other day asked me where they see this, where do I see Strong and Free going? And it's a great question. What I see is that there is a need for this type of reporting and this type of media. And I want to keep getting better. I want this podcast to be better. I want my YouTube videos to be better. I want my articles to be better. And I want to make them experiences. And that's my goal, to make all of the media better. And so that you have a clear, good experience consuming my media. And um, I respond to what you want to see covered as well. So today we're going to be focusing on cuts to education. It's a big topic here in Ontario. um, And in today's uh, podcast, what I'm going to do is cover this in more detail. And you might be asking why. Well, in Ontario, we recently elected a progressive conservative government. Now, conservatives, no matter where you live in the world, are, you know, known for, fortunately and unfortunately... Fortunately, because people might think fiscal restraint is a good thing. Unfortunately, because people also assume that all conservatives, you know, hate the environment, hate education, hate funding um, social programs. And so that is very much the rhetoric today and inside Ontario. With the election of a conservative government, the notion of uh, education and having cuts to it is unfortunately very prevalent and very strong. 
So today what I decide to do is take all of the rhetoric I hear and really delve into what it is that this government is doing compared to the previous government. And what I found was really interesting and I want to share it with you today. So some background. On June, in June 2018, the government of Ontario changed from the Liberal Party to the Progressive Conservative Party. Ontarians elected in large numbers the Progressive Conservatives. Many saw the Liberals, after years and years, as being inefficient, creating programs with no real indication of whether or not they worked. And they were just tired of uh, the Liberals, pretty much. The Liberals had been in power since 2003 in Ontario. And so the Progressive Conservatives swept to power, winning 76 of a potential 124 seats, whereas the Liberals uh, were relegated to third place. And so, again, this podcast isn't about playing partisan politics. It's actually about talking about what the Conservatives did. So with that scene set up, with the Conservatives sweeping to power, Progressive Conservatives sweeping to power in an otherwise known landslide politically... Um, a major concern for many was the funding to education that the conservatives would embark upon. You see, the previous liberal liberal government um, thought of education um, as a major priority. The previous premier had a lot of experience as an educator and a former school board trustee, so this idea that education was not top of mind for her um, was foreign. Everybody thought, most people thought, education was and is a priority for the previous government. And people were very concerned with what that meant for the uh, conservatives coming to power in 2018. So I don't want to get too much into all of the funding for uh, education because we can spend days talking about it, all the ins and outs. But what I want to do is focus on three main um, buckets of funding that the Liberals undertook for education funding, and then compare those same three buckets with what the Progressive Conservatives are doing today. So the Liberals in 2018-19, so for, for some more background, $30 billion every year is spent on education by the province of Ontario. $30 billion. That's a large line item in the budget. I believe it's second largest to health spending in the province, but I could be wrong. So today we're going to focus on three main areas that the previous government um, funded. The first is grants for student needs. The second is on classroom sizes. And the third is other educational programs. So the previous Liberal government, again with that $30 billion line item for primary and secondary school, used the majority, almost over 90% of that funding, for grants for student needs, GSN as they're otherwise called. Think of all of the needs a school has inside the walls of a school. That funding comes through grants for student needs. So the government of Ontario provides over 90% of its educational budget to school boards, 72 district school boards across Ontario for funding things like teacher salaries, um, librarians, computers, computer software. Again, everything you think of inside the walls of a school is funded through the Grants for Student Needs, GSN. In 2018-19, the previous Liberal government funded this for $24.5 billion. So again, 
over 90% of all primary and secondary education is done through the GSN. Now, within the GSN, there are various specific grants, those for kids with special needs, um, you know, kids that require um, additional attention, um, special support staff, workers, things like that. That is funded through the GSN. As well, the government, uh, the Liberal government in 2018-19 commented on uh, classroom sizes. So in the 18-19 budget, the Liberal Party saw that grades 4 to 8 should have classroom sizes that were 25, um, lower than 25 students per class on average. Classroom sizes are a big deal for many people today who are criticizing the, conser- the progressive conservatives and are worried about the future of the occupation that is known as a teacher and an educator. Because with larger classroom sizes, many people believe that there will be a reduction of the need of the amount of teachers that we have. So if we increase classroom sizes, we decrease, by nature, the number of teachers we require. So again, going back to the 1819 budget from the Liberal Party, the only mention of classroom sizes is that grades 4 to 8 will be lower than 25 students per class on average. Of course, you're going to have classes that are over 25 and under 25, but on average it should be under 25. And finally, the third bucket that the, the Liberals looked at was the EPO, Education, Education Programs-Other. Again, these are for special programs that simply would not be covered through the um, uh, GSN. So think about, again, like I mentioned, you know, the additional um, workers for um, special students that's covered in the GSN. Now think of mental health workers. Think of um, a math strategy because, um, you know, kids in Ontario are not performing well in math. That's all covered through the EPO. Again, education programs dash other. Things that simply weren't funded through the GSN. This totaled uh, $246.9 million, so a lot of money. So overall, what we see here are that there are specific supports for students through the EPO, but as well for um, schools and school boards through the GSN, again, totaling about $30 billion. Links in the description below about the EPO and all of the different programs that the EPO funds. And you're welcome to go through them and see for yourself um, the different initiatives that are funded through the EPO. Now, going back to, again, the rhetoric that we hear, you know, I see it all the time, the cuts hurt kids, slogans and banners, the buttons, cuts to education are bad, uh, things like that. That's every, everywhere. So what I'm anticipating in the Progressive Conservatives 2019-20 budget, knowing nothing else, is that either the GSN is going to be cut, the EPO is going to be cut, or special funding and class sizes will increase. I'm expecting a lot of bad things in this budget. So with that in mind, I'm going to go through what the Progressive Conservatives did in those three main buckets. And again, remembering that education is massive in Ontario. And this 30-minute podcast can't do it justice, but looking at these three buckets at least helps us start to conceptualize what it is about the education sector. And again, all of the links are in the description for this podcast. So again, thinking back to why the PCs were elected, they were elected in based on this idea of fiscal restraint in the government of Ontario. And so again, many people were envisioning massive cuts. So again, let's go back to the GSN. Remember, 
grants for student needs. And remember the line item of $24.5 billion. That was the amount that the liberals ushered in in 2018-19 for GSN. Well, GSN, under the progressive conservatives, increased to $24.66 billion. Now, it might be a nominal increase to many, but it's an increase nonetheless. It's an increase to the GSN. As well, the progressive conservatives increased the behavior expertise amount, BEA, which funds professionals in the applied behavioral analysis, ABA sector, to the tune of $15.2 million. Again, quite nominal when thinking of a $30 billion budget. And finally, salary increases to all staff by 1% over 1819 in accordance to the uh, collective bargaining agreement signed with all educators. Again, nominal increases, right? This is just kind of like, you know, when we think of budgets, oh, it's just adjusted for inflation, the 2%, that's pretty much it. But that increase to the GSN is very important because that is quite, quite substantial. Now, these are nominal, but there are some things that are removed. So, what was removed? Well, the PCs removed, um, there was a specific fund uh, that helped school boards negotiate collective agreements. As you can imagine, with 72 different school boards negotiating a collective, collective agreement on their own is difficult. And the previous government set aside $10 million to help school boards negotiate collective agreements. I didn't see any of that in this budget. So I didn't see a $10 million line item for school boards helping to negotiate collective bargaining agreements. This was also, there was also the um, Local Priorities Fund, LPF. Now, LPF was specifically designed to train staff working with at-risk youth and adults through adult education. Now, the previous government um, allocated $223 million to the LPF. It's set to expire on August 31st, 2019, and there's no indication in this budget from the Conservatives whether or not the LPF will continue. So that is something that either might be under review or maybe canceled altogether. Finally, or sorry, second. So that's the GSN as well as some nominal changes to um, staff uh, salary increases and the LPF and some things that were removed by the uh, PCs. Classroom size changes. Now, this is quite interesting. For classes, uh, classroom sizes for grades 4 to 8, the PCs have committed to the average being 24.5 students per class in grades 4 to 8, aligning with the previous Liberal government's um, uh, budget item of making sure classroom sizes for grades 4 to 8 stay under 25. So very specific, very interesting that the PCs made that move. But what's also interesting, the PCs increase class sizes for secondary students. High school kids, the average class size will now go from 22 to 28. So this is a bigger jump, six students on average per class. And of course, teachers will say, well, there's also classes of 35 and 36 and classes of 20, but the average is going up to 28. What's really important here is the previous Liberal government did not mention secondary schools' classroom sizes in their 2018-19 budget. Now, I don't know why that wasn't the case. Again, I scoured their budget and I didn't see it. But if you can find that, if you can find specific reference, I would really appreciate it because I couldn't myself. But what else the government of the PCs are doing is ushering in more e-learning. 
So beginning in 2020 to 21, um, the delivery of e-learning courses to high school students will allow more access to educational opportunities. So there is going to be a requirement that four e-learning credits out of the 30 that students are required to take will be taken through online courses. So again, this furthers teachers thinking, man, not only are my classroom sizes going up if I'm a secondary teacher, but now kids are taking four out of their 30 uh, credits at home behind their computers. So there's a clear, less, less clear of a need for teachers. So this is where some of the rhetoric is invoked. And finally, the third bucket, EPO or program funding, additional program funding. Well, the conservatives, the progressive conservatives, looking at the educational programs dash other, noted that a lot of these programs were not meeting what they believed were efficient, were uh, uh, meeting a target set by the government. Maybe they didn't um, hit, maybe they weren't getting as many students out, maybe there wasn't real need for the program, demonstrated need. So they cancel the EPO and replace it with the Priorities and Program Partnerships Fund, sorry, PPF, the Priorities and Partnerships Fund. Now remember, the EPO under the Liberals was funded $246.9 million. The PCs fund the PPF $330 million, an increase of $84 million. Now, again, a list of all of the programs and initiatives under the PPF are linked below. So by all means, go ahead, take a look, look at them, see how they stack up. But similar to the EPO, there are specific areas that have large amounts of dollars attached to them. Math tutorial, for example, much like the math strategy, $40.5 million. Uh, mental health, $34.5 million. This is under the PPF, so very similar to the EPO of the previous Liberal government, but slightly different. So let's look again. I know I've thrown out a lot of information at you in this podcast, so I just wanted to do a quick overview of what we saw um, com comparing the Liberal Party to the Progressive Conservative Party when it comes to education, primary and secondary education funding. Grants for student needs under the Liberal Party was $24.5 billion. Grants for student needs under the Progressive Conservatives is $24.66 billion. The Education Programs Other, EPO, was $246.9 million under the Liberals. Under the Progressive Conservatives, the EPO was replaced with the Priorities and Partnerships Fund to the tune of $330 million. In terms of class sizes, under the Liberals, grades 4 to 8, the average size will be less than 25 students. Under the Progressive Conservatives, uh, grades 4 to 8, the average class size will be approximately 24.5 students. But secondary students will have an average class size of from um, that will be 28, an increase from 22. So what does all of this show? Yes, it does show that there are cuts. There are cuts in the new budget. But if I just read my Facebook feed, if I just look on Instagram and Snapchat, I would think that all three would be dramatically reduced, that teachers would be basically run out of jobs, that schools would be shut down and closed, that the grants for student needs would be dramatically reduced because that is the largest budget item under primary and secondary funding. And yet, that's not the case. 
Yes, we do not know what's happening with the local priorities fund past August 31st. We do not know what's going to happen with the $10 million um, designated to help school boards bargain for collective bargaining agreements. We don't know that. You're right. There are cuts. But those cuts are very, very specific. They are so specific. It's so specific that for someone to make um, a post about cuts to education and, you know, the conservatives don't care about cuts to education, it makes it seem as if the progressive conservatives absolutely hate education and hate teachers and just want to cut corners everywhere possible. This is the war that we're fighting, the war of misinformation, the war where we react from emotion, but we're not doing the work of figuring out exactly what it is that will be different under the PCs than the liberals. Now, look, I'm not an expert. I don't know everything about education um, as others do. I'm not uh, claiming to be an expert either. But one thing that I do know is this. Yes, when a new government comes along, regardless of what party that, that government is, right or left, we can only naturally assume that that government's going to go through the books. They're not going to want to continue to fund certain projects that the previous government did. Maybe, maybe not. But many times, the, gov- the new government will want to put their own stamp on it. It just makes sense. The same would be true if the liberals replaced the progressive conservatives. It's just one of those things where governments want to show that they're putting their own spin on something. They're putting their own stamp of approval on something. And many times what we see are that governments continue the programs that the previous government did, but just in a different way. Yes, there will be cuts from a government that's aimed at fiscal restraint, but if you read the 1920 budget, it's not nearly as drastic as others on social media and other platforms are indicating it. And this is the problem of our discourse. This is exactly why Strong and Free was created. It was because what is being projected is misinformation. It's getting us angry. We read through our social media feeds. We read Twitter and other, um, like, you know, you read newspapers and you're, you're so upset. You can't believe that this government would do such a thing of cutting funding to education. And you're left scratching your head like, why would they do that? And then that informs your perspective on government as a whole and maybe even your vote. And that's dangerous and that's scary. Look, this podcast isn't about showing how great the PCs are and how bad the liberals are. It's not that at all. What this podcast is, is fighting the misinformation that's everywhere. We all have to fight it. We have to, you know say to ourselves that this is not the this is simply not what's happening and we have to be okay with doing the hard work of figuring out for ourselves what the what exactly exactly is happening and finally I'll say this look I respect anyone's right to go out there and protest and hold up placards. And, you know, it takes a lot of energy. You know, to say to yourself, it's Saturday, I worked all week, I want to spend time with the family, but instead, education matters to me. I'm going down and I'm going to protest and spend all morning or all afternoon doing this with my family or by myself with this placard out. That takes a lot. And it's a lot of personal sacrifice to do that. And I totally understand that. But... Before you make those decisions, understand exactly what it is you're protesting. Understand that 
that topic inside and out so that if people question you and if they ask you, like, what, what do you think? As a protester, you can answer respectfully and, 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 and further the conversation. You know, think for yourself. Think, think um, for example, if you're at this protest in front of the government uh, legislature and it just so happens that the education minister is there and he or she approaches you and says, you know, thank you so much for coming out. It's Saturday, it's raining, it's really bad outside, but you still came out. Thank you so much. What would you suggest in terms of what our government should do? Because I can only assume that you've read our budget. What would you suggest that we do differently? And if you say something along the lines of, well, I'm concerned about cuts to, I'm concerned about the future of my job and I'm concerned as a teacher about uh, classroom sizes, agreed. What's the solution? What is it that we want our governments to do? You know, positing solutions is very challenging and something we unfortunately look to government too many times to figure out for, uh, too many times we look to government to figure out a solution when we can figure out that solution on our own sometimes. Um, so we have to ask ourselves when we're going out to protest what it is we want to leave our governments with. You know, it's not enough that the person with the loudest megaphone should have the biggest voice. It's more important that we understand these issues so that we ourselves can demand the change we want to see. We can specifically say, you know, Mr. Ford, Premier Ford, what's happening with the local priorities fund? Why is there no money dedicated to uh, school boards to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement? What, why have these been cut? You know, what is the PPF? What specific initiatives inside there are, um, are going to benefit teachers and students than ever before? And what are the initiatives I fundamentally disagree with? This is what uh, the conversation should look like. But instead, all we see are cuts to education hurts kids. And so we have to cut through this rhetoric. We have to fight the misinformation. We have to do the hard work of figuring out what the government's doing, how this differs from the previous government, and make this a better, more informed con conversation. So that's it for me for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to put all my links uh, to my article and um, hopefully going to do a YouTube video soon about this very topic. Um, thank you so much for listening. It's so important that we keep this conversation going and um, continue to um, uh, continue the conversation of balance in our discourse. So again, thanks for reaching out. Thank you for always commenting. Thank you for all the feedback that I've received. Um, we're going to make sure that this uh, momentum continues to force our media, to force each other to share balanced information about very important topics. So again... Remember, stay balanced, stay informed, and I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Strong and Free, the podcast dedicated to providing you with the information that you need on the topics of the day. And remember, stay balanced, stay informed. <laughs>